every culture is unique. So as we travel the world, we find not just new foods and music, but also surprising assumptions about family or money or marriage. We find differing values and distinct cultural strengths and blind spots. At the same time, the foundation of the gospel is the same. So when we encounter a person who wants with all their heart to love God and to serve their neighbor, we so often find we share far more than we differ. The details of our lives may be very different, but there is an amazing similarity in the deep questions and the great truths that mark our lives. Today, we get to hear from Aisha de Lopez in Guatemala. She lives as a vibrant follower of Jesus and as a champion for vulnerable children in her own country. And because of that, she has a lot to offer that can help us do the same in our own, whether in the Americas or Asia or Africa or anywhere else in the world. to Justice and the Inner Life, presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here's your host, Jed Medefend. Well, I am here today with Aisha de Lopez, or actually we are together across the miles via Skype. Aisha is in Guatemala City, I am in Washington, D.C., but we wanted to dig together today into some of the big themes of justice and the inner life. And Aisha is a dear friend for many years. She's also an author, a speaker, teacher, a wife and mother, and also a member of the Christian Alliance for Orphans Board. So Aisha, a big welcome to Justice and the Inner Life. Thank you so much, Jed, for having me. And it's been a joy to get to know you and your family and everything God has done through you. So it, it'll be a pleasure to chat. Definitely. Well, um, so Aisha, your husband, Alex, is a pastor, and together, really, the two of you are at the center of Fraternidad Cristiana in Guatemala City, which is one of the largest churches in Latin America, started decades ago by Alex's father. Yes. And, um, you know, as you know well, so often church leadership looks like leadership anywhere else, right? Focused on building an enterprise, um, being mm. big and impressive. And I know mm-hmm. that you hunger for something very different. And I've seen that in your family, um, in your leadership. You desire most yeah. of all, like like Micah said, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And I, I see that, especially in, in your deep desire to um, care for orphans and widows in their distress, like the book of James says, pure religion. And uh, one of the ways that you're doing that, you are true champions, you and Alex both, um, in a very countercultural way for orphans and yeah. other children who've lost the protection and care of family. So let's just start by, by describing where did that begin for you? What first stirred you and Alex in that direction? Well, you know, uh, God is a, a God of uh, integrity and of working in all of you. And he's the one who accomplishes the, the alignment, if you will, of your, your heart, your mind, your understanding, your will. And uh, everything you talk about being impressive, you know, to the human eye, we were, we were set. I mean, this was a, a, a very notable and still is a very notable congregation. And, um, you know, my husband has a big platform and whatever. And then... There's this very great uh, gift of insatisfaction of being, 
you know, deeply convicted about this not being it. Mm. And so um, many things came together like in a river, like many little streams came together as a river in my life. Um, many circumstances and questions that I had in my heart. Um, I was, and I'm not blaming this on anyone. I just didn't, it didn't click to me what grace was and what, 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 what the substitution of Christ, you know, meant for me as a, as a woman, as a Christian. And so I, I was a Christian, but I was basically doing activity. I was very active and I wanted to be good. I wanted to be better. My, my self-improvement was my God. And of course, thankfully I failed. And so when I, when I felt like a failure, this was, you just picture me as a, as a wife, as you know, pastor's wife uh, and a mom to two biological kids, boy and girl. And, um, and just coming to grips with the fact that I can't do this. This is, this is, you know, I cannot do this. And so thankfully God was tearing my moralism and my legalism down. And so, but I never was a church girl. I didn't grow up at, at, at church. Um, so my failure to be good was, was actually the biggest gift in my life. And so my understanding of grace and, and just my Bible reading got, you know, a transformation because I was at a cent at the center at first. And then Jesus became the centerpiece of my Bible reading. And so that threw everything into perspective. And as your theology changes, it has to change your heart and you love and your decisions. And so it, it started to, re, to, I started to remember uh, that when we were dating my husband and me, he, he was, he was free from cancer, you know, from years back, he was young and single when, when he had testicular cancer, he never really got radiation or anything, but when we were dating and we were, then we got engaged and we, we talked about the possibility of not conceiving biological children. And so I said, I would have no problem adopting. And he said, yeah, sure. And then we got married. We got pregnant easily. I had my biological kids easily. And so, but this new, you know, understanding of what the big picture was of the gospel um, reminded me of adoption. And so God used that new understanding to bring it back into my thoughts and my prayers and my, my, you know, my life. And so that's how it came into the picture in a conversation again. And, um, I started getting closer to orphans in my community and it stopped being a cause or a number. And it started to be a personal thing with a little girl and a face and a, you know, and a personality and a story. And, and that's how we got where we got. Well, thank you for sharing that Aisha. And man, I, I am struck by many things you shared, including just that, what you expressed about the project of self-improvement becoming central. And, and it's interesting, okay. you know, often we were talking about at the very beginning leadership, the world's form of leadership becoming the church's approach to leadership as well. But that's so true that so much of society, the, the project is self-improvement, self-actualization, and that can creep mm -hmm. into the church as well and, and mm -hmm. shape us as, as opposed to that, what, what you described is that casting ourselves upon grace 
and dwelling in that, and then all of our life being just a response to that rather than that quest for self-perfection. Absolutely. And the funny thing is uh, people are afraid, initially afraid of preaching grace because they say, well, people are going to be just a bunch of slouches and no one's going to like everyone's going to relax around that, not activate. But it's all absolutely opposite of that. I have never been more, you know, busy or joyful or productive spiritually and like fruitful than when I actually got to rest in Jesus. So it's counterintuitive. Mm, but this is how it works. Mm, well said. Well, so Aisha, as you and Alex plunged into this this vision, first, you know, speaking about and then yeah. acting on the idea of, of yeah. adoption and welcoming yeah. children that were not related yeah. into your family. I, I remember mm-hmm. you sharing with me how at times you felt alone in that journey. And I, I know, mm-hmm. you know, from, from living in Guatemala for, for periods of time that many people there are very glad to visit children in orphanages once a year, maybe at Christmas, throw yep. a piñata party. Um, but to become very mm-hmm. deeply personally involved with individual kids, that's much less common. And of course, that's, that's true anywhere in the world, including here in the United States, right? And, um, and then mm-hmm. the, the, the thought of actually welcoming a child into your home through adoption permanently as part of the family, um, unless you absolutely had no other options uh, for, for having children, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty unthinkable. Even even still, it's yeah. very countercultural, and and yeah. I see a lot of people experience that that same feeling of being you know kind of alone in the journey when they start to wade near to the world's hurts. They want to engage in a yeah. in a way that, as a follower of Jesus, not just at a safe distance, but really wading in. Um, in a way that few others are, are willing to do. So what, what, what was that like for you yeah. and Alex walking that road at, at first fairly alone in that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I listened to you and I just, I'm so touched and, and even teary because that has changed so much. Uh, from the first steps, you know, the best in, of the best of cases, they were enthusiastic. Our closest friends and family were enthusiastic, although, didn't know anything about this world of adoption and older kid adoption, mind you, um, and trauma and all that it would entail. The best cases were they were enthusiastic and ignorant as we, as we were. Mm-hmm. And, 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 the, and the worst of cases that I remember a guy walking up to me at, at a park, this man was from our church and, and he said, what are you thinking? And I had my little girl next to me Mm. and I just, I looked at him and I said, what are we thinking about? What? And he was like pointing to my little girl. And I'm like, this is how families grow too. And God, you know, he performed an adoption to get you. So, you know, that kind of encounter was rare, but it did occur. And I know the culture, I know what they think about because I, before I became a mother through adoption, I, I would listen to the jokes and to the, you know, the the perception in general of what adoption was. And so um, although it felt kind of alone, um, maybe the word is m- misunderstood or just, you know, people were like shocked because what you listed is the truth. I mean, in our country, you don't adopt unless you have to. It's like a plan B. And so when we came in and we had a girl and a boy and they both were, you know, humanly perfect and we were done, um, 
we had no reason to adopt. And then when we show up with a six year old and then a year later with a nine year old, it was like, what, what are you guys doing? And so it opened up all sorts of conversations. And I am so happy to report that the reality five years later is just another thing. The, our closest friends are now in, 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 uh, trauma competent training. Um, most are doing mentoring. Uh, some, some more are adopting or doing foster care, starting to. So it's changing. It's changing around us because we were willing to be uncomfortable and feel sort of alone or misunderstood in the beginning. Yes. And we'll, we'll come back to some of those changes that you're seeing that I think are so, so exciting in yes. a moment. Um, so in those early days, when did you have a couple close friends who you feel like were rode with you? Or do you, do you feel like we're at the very beginning, it was you and Alex and no one else really understood? Um, you know what? We had the good fortune and the providence of God to have good friends. But they were American. They are American, not living here, who were adoptive parents um, and their son passed away. Years ago, their only son through adoption actually uh, passed away. And so, but I've been close to her. So she was a source of inspiration and, um, you know, she comforted me and eased many of my fears. And, you know, my children had her to talk to. So we had that exposure to them. But national, you know, people that were pairs, you know, like, um, uh, I don't know how you say it in English, but um, it, it, the word escapes me. But, you know, uh, like shoulder to shoulder people mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. are adopted. Kindred spirits that are really in it yes. with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, you know, uh, we didn't have that in at that moment. But ha God has provided. God has very, very much provided. Mm. Yeah. But just even yes. having that from a distance with those friends at oh, first, that yes. makes all the difference, right? We, oh, God just does not yes. intend to, for us to walk yes. this road alone. Yeah. And, and it is so, so evident to me and, and it's all over the word of God. And so we cannot do anything God calls us to do without his embrace through the family he provides for us to do it. Like he sends us, but he equips us and he is with us through uh, you know, friendship and, and family. And uh, we believe in that so much that we uh, ACH, which is a Spanish uh, branch of KFO, if you will. Um, we have uh, adoption support groups and it's starting and it's really hard sometimes to get people to come to the actual meeting because people are afraid to talk about it still. But we are available in, in the in the families that are faithful there. We have like 20 families that are coming and growing and learning about trauma and just sharing their hardships. And we pray for each other. It makes all the difference in mm -hmm. the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. Whatever realm of, of justice and mercy ministry one is in, having yes. at least one uh, true mm -hmm. kindred spirit, like we we're talking about, is, is vital, which is, mm -hmm. I think, why Jesus mm -hmm. sent the disciples out two by two. He never sent yes. out someone alone. Yes. And you look at all the epistles. Yes. It's not just Paul who wrote the epistles. It's Paul and Timothy or Paul and Barnabas yes. or Paul and Silas. Uh, it's that is yes. how God intends us to do this work. If we're if we're going to stick in it for the long run, we need to find yes. that. Yes. Yeah, because it's it's giving and it's receiving. It's mm -hmm. both. Mm -hmm. Anytime 
a person follows Jesus near to the world's hurt, we inevitably are going to experience joy and beauty on the one hand, but right alongside them, heartbreak and pain as well. Um, you know, they come together, the beauty and the brokenness, the joy and the pain, they're, they're intertwined. And I, I know you, Aisha, have tasted that too in, in your adoption journey and, and other things. Yes. And, and as anyone really who has, um, you know, waded deep into this realm, uh, through fostering yes. or mentoring, global orphan care. So what, what has that intersection of, of beauty and brokenness looked like for you? Well, um, it's so much. It's so broad. But I can tell you, um, there there has not been a day uh, since we said yes to adoption that I have not felt um, like the salt and the sweet, like the bittersweet mm. of the of this fallen world in the lives mm. of our little girls. Uh, it's either in their lives or the effect in my biological kids or the fight in my own heart about my own, um, you know, selfish ways. Um, and it, it, it's a topic so close to my heart. Um, in our context, um, I have to say this, uh, there's a, a prevalent prosperity gospel-ish tint to everything. And so people assume that if you follow Jesus, he's going to basically um like protect you and in like get you out of like provide a bubble for you to live in a very happy mm-hmm. little world and and that's not what the bible promises so by saying yes to what god is calling us you are so i mean it's it takes 2 seconds for you to to just burst that bubble and get into the 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 reality of how Genesis three <laughs> is a reality still like, so it, it doesn't take much to mm-hmm. see the effects of sin in our children and how we, we, we can't approach their lives in a touchy or feely or good intention way. We need to embrace the fact that it's broken and we have to go back to the gospel and, and rearrange our expectations even to 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 just do one more day <laughs> do one more day yeah the, the the prosperity gospel the idea that if we are simply faithful if we do the right things that everything yes. is going to go swimmingly yes. if that is yes. our basic understanding of theology mm-hmm. uh men wading into the realm of mm-hmm. uh, human hurt and of orphan care and option mm-hmm. human need in any mm-hmm. of its forms is going to to devastate yes. that uh that theology right absolutely and even demonizes the children because you listen to what some christians say and it's like oh no you know i'm afraid to adopt or many grandparents say this or warn their kids my age not to adopt because maybe the kid has some mysterious spiritual bondage thing that you know that you won't be able to handle and that goes along the same type of like you make it happen. Like if you believe or you do this, you know, your blessings, you produce your blessings. So maybe the kid is is like damaged goods. And so we we really are reducing God in his in his character. And so adoption is is a very big flag to wave against 
everything that has to do with us in the center. Mm-hmm. I say mm-hmm. this often to the parents that come to the support groups. The same amount of blood that took to save me is the same amount of blood that it takes to save the pastor's kid that's biological and the one that came through adoption. Mm. Yeah. And it's it's so vital for someone to come to grips with this before they wade near the world's hurt. Because if, if you yes. assume that if you're doing everything right, if you have enough faith yes. that everything's going to gonna go well, yes. then when yes. things don't go well, when you experience that pain and hurt, then you will assume, well, I must have misheard God because... Is, uh, you know, something's wrong here versus saying, yeah. hey, if I look at the life of Jesus, if I look at the life of the, the saints of Scripture and throughout history, I see both beauty and brokenness. I see both joy yes. and a lot of pain. Yes. If we if we see that from the start, we know that's going to be part of our journey from the very get go. Yes. Yes. And, and you love because he loved you first. So you don't love to get love back or to get a reward or for your kid to become a uh, you know, a Nobel Peace Prize, that would be nice. But, you know, that's <laughs> not your goal. That's not the goal. That's not the goal. That Your goal is to display the gospel and loving somebody that will probably sometimes won't love you back or give you that reward that you're probably expecting. So, you know, you can't go in with that expectation. When, when things are at their lowest, Aisha, what, how would you describe yeah. what it is that keeps you in it? There's a song that makes me cry all the time, and it says, it was always you. It was always you. You found me. You found me. It's like, it's, you know, you, you get to the place where you, where you are at your lowest, where I, I reacted the wrong way. I said the wrong thing. I had the wrong thought. And I have to come back to, to Jesus and say, it was you. It, you, you are persuading me. And so I cannot believe that this bad day is going to, you know, get you away from me or from my children. Uh, So at the very core is the 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 trust that I I put in how that savior bled for me. Um, And so on the very worst days, some days I'm going to be just honest and say some days it's, it's hard to get out of bed. Because everything adds up and you do feel like you're wasting your life. (laughs) Some days it looks like that, Mm -hmm. but it's not the truth. You have to Mm -hmm. go back to the truth of the word of God. Everything will pass away, but the word of God will will remain. And so if you do it like Colossians 3 says, 3.23, everything for him, because it's for him that we do things, that we do everything, a scrambled egg or an adoption then everything gets a, se- a second wind, you know, mm. and you get to, you mm. get to pick it. And I don't want to say pick yourself up, but the gospel picks you up and says, you know, there's new mercy for today. Mm. Get Amen. up and go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alongside building on, building on yeah. that bedrock gospel truth. Are there any particular habits that you have kept that you feel have been particularly important to sustaining you in the long journey? Yeah, I have I have a a couple that I I I consider non-negotiable. First of all, uh 
you know, it may seem very earthly and whatever, but I have learned to take care of myself. So I try to walk at least 30 minutes a day. And I found that this regulates me. It puts me in a better mood. I'm ready. I have energy when the kids come after school. And along that, I, I feed my soul. I, mm. I keep myself at, you know, a, a, a little system, a very simple system with my little Bible in my, in my app, uh, in my phone. I, I, I either read it or listen to it. And I, I listen to a good teaching of the word. And if you're listening to me and it's in Spanish, Heriberto Hermosillo, I love him. And so, um, I try to feed my soul, uh, and just be with God. And Guatemalan traffic allows for great prayer time. So <laughs> there is something good about it. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. I think it's, it's God's permission that I live here because I wouldn't have enough alone, alone time, I think, if, <laughs> if, if I didn't drive here. So, you know, God will provide for you to be not only surviving, but, but, it sounds like a very cliche thing to say, but not only surviving, but thriving. Um, and so, you know, you need to, to do whatever you need to do to to be ready to serve your family. You know, I think there's a lot of significance in what you mentioned about walking and doing something physical alongside See, the spiritual. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I, I think in the Western tradition, at times we've mistakenly separated the physical and the spiritual, seeing them as totally distinct realms, yes. which goes all the way back to Plato and Platonism kind of, you know, distinguished the body, the low, dirty See. realm, and then the pure yeah. spiritual realm. And the Bible yeah. really knows nothing of that. It continually affirms yes. that, you know, the body is good. It was created by God. Jesus took on flesh. Um, yes. And that is part and parcel with the uh, the spiritual parts of us that, that commune with God, and so our soul is that bot, that that intertwining of those things, and so um, th that makes a lot of sense to me that that you would find a lot of um, nourishment in uh, a physical activity, getting out of your seat or uh, walking yeah. alongside the, the spiritual nourishment of God's word. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, it it has done wonders, and I won't say I've been doing that for five years. I've tried taking more naps and it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, this is a little bit of a tangent. It's, 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 it, again, it seems un unspiritual perhaps, but you know, just these, there's been a number of studies that have come out over the last several years showing that just sitting in your chair, you know, is the worst thing you can do. If you're sitting in your chair, yeah. six, eight, 10 plus hours a day, that is the worst thing for you. And, and yes. even more important than spending, you know, an hour a day at the gym is actually just, Breaking up your day by getting up, going on short walks, if you can do a phone call while walking yes. or those things. So I've, I've been trying to do I've been t encouraging the KFO team to do that. We even have contests. We all got Fitbits. And, and that's, yes. I think, a part of our spiritual reality is God yes. taking care of our physical bodies by getting us out of yes. our chairs. Alex actually gave me one of those for Christmas. And I have I, this is not a commercial. They, they don't sponsor us, although that would be great. <laughs> But I got I got to say, it does make a difference. It makes you aware. That's right. And and God <laughs> wove all these things together, right? Our, yes. Our, our yes. bodies and our spirits. Yes. So as you alluded to earlier, Aisha, some really exciting things are stirring in Guatemala. So, you know, what I'm seeing yes. is just it's it's the teaching and vision example that you and Alex set and, and a number of other, you know, truly remarkable Christian leaders there 
in Guatemala who were early pioneers has now begun to um, affect a powerful shift in how Guatemalan yes. Christians see all of this. Orphans, adoption, foster yes. care, welcoming and caring for, for children that aren't related to them. And, you know, I, I know like any big change, sometimes it feels really slow and hard fought from the inside. But from my yes. perspective, it is truly beautiful. Um, so tell, tell us is. a little more about what you're seeing. Well, like I said, it's so different from five, five years ago. Um, it, you know, it's slow, but it's it's like good agriculture. You have to be patient and, and work to, for people to enroll knowingly, like with understanding. So um, the summit here has been a great help uh, for not only um, putting the topic out there in the minds of normal Christian people who attend and maybe want to do something, but we have um, really made an, made, made an effort with ACH to um, to do workshops and, and Paola de Alvarado is a great partner and she is um, actually in charge of this, the uh, orphan care ministry in Iglesia Reforma, which mm -hmm. is a, a relatively new church plant. But the pastors are, you know, making sure that the DNA of the church understands what good orphan care means. So they have, uh, partnered with ACH and we have deployed, I mean, that's a word, deployed Paola and, and the team there. Uh, their name, the ministry is Somos, which means we are. Mm. And, it, and Somos, and then it says adopted and we are the church. So mm. it's, it's like very central and, and the, um, you know, the workshops that we're doing, are really waking up people to in, 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 you know, in understanding the problems and having humble hearts to learn and to be respectful of orphanages and children. It just changes everything. Um, when people approach orphans, um, in orphan care and adoption and whatever it is. So we're seeing, um, this awakening. Uh, and younger people, younger couples considering adoption, not as a plan B, but mm -hmm. as a plan A, mm -hmm. like from the start saying we're going to have, you know, two biological and two adopted or we're going to have, you know, this and this. So they're actually from the beginning considering this as part of the, the normal life, family life. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of uh, people are also mentoring because we have in our context, we have orphanages. We have institutional care. That's basically what we have. So the need uh, for adoption and foster care is a real need. But the broader need is for for Christians to go into orphanages in a very intentional and regular way. So we're seeing young adults who have time and resources getting interested in one kid and just being the visit to that one kid, mm -hmm. praying over them, watching a movie, you know, telling jokes and just being there for that, you know, maybe a, a preteen or a group of siblings that have nobody 
I mean, it's changing lives and not only the lives of kids inside the institution, but but the young adults that are seeing what we just talked about, the brokenness and how many of them are finding their theology falls short. Mm. There's no mm. there's no answer. There's no easy answer. There's no, you know, uh, like wishful thinking or positive thinking that can undo the damage that these kids uh, have go- have undergone. So. For me, it's just miraculous. It's beautiful. And you see all sorts of denominations coming together for this cause, which is a miracle in its own right, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we have a lot of territorialism here. And we see churches opening up their doors for this workshop, for example. And then you see people coming from all over walks of life come in there and be you know, united in this. And and we have made it um, like a, a very broad uh, range of topics from grief, uh, um, uh, identity issues, um, life in limbo. So it's a lot of a lot of um, topics that we are tapping into. And, and we're just so thankful. Mm, mm, I love it. Yes. Yeah. And, and and like you were saying, I mean, even from my limited perspective, living there for three months a few years ago and then being down, you know, once a year for the, the summit and things, it, it has just been so decisive to see the changes and that it is, you know, it is changing the lives of individual children. Of course, I've met some of these precious kids yeah. and just seen even the change over just a matter of three, four, five years in, in their own lives and hearts and abilities. But just as much as changing the church, like like you said, it is drawing together the fractionalized uh, churches that, that often have worked in competition. Yeah. Here they are uh, laboring yes. together in a shared vision. That is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And, it's, and yes. it's changing the, the individuals in the church, right? It's deepening theology from a, a yes. theology of prosperity that if, hey, as long as I believe the right things and that everything's going to be great to, yeah. hey, actually God's calling us into hard places. And sometimes that that includes um, th- that blend of brokenness and beauty together. And, and yes. so I just see a deepening of of yes. uh, the church and those yes. those are involved as well. Yes, God is a very you know he's he's the expert at getting to the core of things, and then you know he burns a lot of stuff on the way there. So so that's beauty. That's a lot of serious beauty. Um, serious beauty. And then right alongside it, I know you've been through a really hard season recently. Things you never would have chosen yeah. in in your yes. in your personal life. Would you be willing to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, uh, well, a, a lot of situations have surfaced around our congregation. And although I don't know if I will ever get to talk about it openly during my lifetime, um, I have learned to rest in the fact that God knows everything and that I owe nothing to anybody else. My loyalty, my love. My focus, my work is for him. And so that is crystal clear in my head, in my heart. And um, as a pastor's wife in, in a mega church, because that's what we are, um, we have this prototype of lady. And it's, it looks more like Princess Di than a servant girl, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> that we should be. As, as Christian women. Um, so 
I mean, it's not like I planned it, but I don't look like that. I don't look like a first lady. And I, and as soon as somebody treats me like that, I refuse. I mean, I go out of my way to just like, don't agree with that image. Mm. And the way, and I mentioned that because many, uh, this is for the ladies out there. It, I don't know if it's a, a 25 people group. Uh, church or uh, another mega church. Um, when we sell our souls to public perception, I mean that you're on the way to personal hell and and you know all sorts of havoc. That does not serve God. So um, in living your life in an intimate way for God, don't be afraid. You're going to go through fire because that means you have non-negotiable points in the way you decide to use your time and your talent and your platform. And um, you have to be careful because you have to be respectful. Uh, but who says that because my husband is associate pastor to this super church, I have to look a certain way or do a certain thing. Like I, I decided to take a year off and, and actually I have not come back, uh, in the payroll and I probably never will. I'm now, um, again, serving the women and teaching women at church, but not as a, a permanent staff member of the church. Um, and so somebody, but last year I really did intentionally, um, step away from every platform <clears throat> and somebody commented in Instagram, like, uh, how come you're not serving God now? And mm. I was like, mm. um, sorry, but I absolutely am. I'm serving God in my kitchen. I'm serving God in my car. So we have many things out of whack, uh, with, with what, what serving God means, what womanhood, biblical womanhood means and what serving means like in general terms. So, mm. Uh, yeah. when you, when you, when your life is defined by the word of God, it, it will, it, it's unlikely it will fit a category. And that's okay. You have to be comfortable with that uncomfortable part of being a disciple of Christ. Mm. So yeah. I never, I, I never, I never, you know, I, I never stopped being a wife or a mom. And that's my main ministry. So, you know, that's part of, um, a decision, a big decision that I made last year. And I totally, totally understand that some folks are not going to get it. Uh, it's very deeply ingrained the way I'm supposed to be doing things. Um, but I know that in the long run, <clears throat> and because God knows my heart, he's going to do something with your words and with your silence he's going to do something in when you obey he's going to do what he set out to do with your time in the platform and your time outside of the platform mm, so we, we don't yeah. need to be afraid yeah that's good aisha and right no matter who we are and where we are there's gonna be times when people will probably tell us not to do things we should or mm -hmm. to do things we shouldn't 
um, that's right. Justifying those directives to us uh, with, you know, with uh, saying that it's this is God's will or this is scripture. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. while we can certainly humbly listen to everyone that ultimately yes. we, we have to um, yes. c- come to grips with what God is inviting us towards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it's interesting, absolutely. of course, some of the things you mentioned are, are specific to, you know, men and women, those things. But so much of in our in our modern world, there is such a temptation to believe that for any of us, building platform is the best thing we can do for God. Right. Because if we oh, have a yes. bigger voice, then therefore we will certainly be able to do more good for God. So, <laughs> yes, you know, I must yes. increase that he might increase, you know, um, and uh, yeah, we I both mean, need to increase. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's the essence of, I think, social media platform and not certainly mm-hmm. not that all social media is bad, but but certainly it, it, I think mm-hmm. there's a gravity towards that personal yes. platform building in the name of kingdom building. But so yes. much of that really ultimately is is especially about yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, the the vast majority of the best ministry that God has allowed me to do will never be posted on social media. Some of the best conversations, some of the best, I mean, hard transformation that I've witnessed is not it's not in a big platform. It's in a cafe. It's in my living room. It's in my kitchen because I have and I I will never stop serving people in my home. There's always somebody here, some young adult, single, some new couple, some, you know, struggling with a widow. Somebody's here all the time. (laughs) And so you don't need a a platform to do that kind Mm -hmm. of work. Yeah. And in so many. many, Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. If we understood that, we would be the neighbors God intended for us to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally resonating. And, and it's interesting, you know, being being back here in D.C. and living here again now, uh, one of the things I see is so many people come to D.C. to make a difference on a grand scale, right? And, and so it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, they're not necessarily trying no. to get rich or even necessarily famous. They really want to make a difference. But but the temptation is that it it's only legitimate if it's on a massive scale Yes. versus recognizing that not only does God sometimes call us to quiet unseen things, but frankly, many of the the deepest changes in human lives happen at that scale. They they just don't happen at the mass scale. It's it's that one-on-one relationship. It's listening well to that one lonely person. That's where real lasting change happens. Yes. And, and that's the thing. I mean, you said it very well. And I think it's just about obey, obeying God, trusting him, obeying him and being faithful for, you know, in whatever it is that he has called you to. Because we we need big voices and we need the little, you know, insect proportion work to happen. We need mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Insect proportion work. That's a good phrase there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a writer. I'm sorry. Yes, I love it. All right. Well, let's wrap up by looking back first and then looking forward. So looking back at the season when you first started thinking about, um, you know, how justice and mercy uh, were, were an outflow of the gospel and you began wading into adoption. What word of encouragement or advice would you give to yourself back then if you could? You cannot do everything. And you're not expected to do everything. Mm. Be faithful. What is God calling you to do? Listen to the word of God. Plan it in your heart. Take care 
of that pivotal space where you and him have time together and that everything will build from that. That's the main thing. The main thing is the main thing. Mm. Amen. Yes. Looking forward then. So 10 years from now, if you're still on earth, Mm -hmm. uh, I know you want to be more than anything else to have grown more like Jesus, right? Sharing his heart, his character, his grace. And of course that's God's work first, but it's also our work to participate Mm -hmm. with him in it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, amidst all the unknowns, what choices do you especially desire to make to join God in that work, to see Christ's heart formed in you? I want my, my children, I want my, my husband to see a godlier, wiser woman, uh, that's really, truly his, his helper, uh, in not allowing him to go to the grave like he was born. (laughs) I want to be a helper in God's work in his life. And I want my children to see a humbler mother, uh, a mother that has grown in grace and um, in the works of righteousness that, that God had set before me. I want to I want to make sure I don't become a conference speaker. I said that publicly just a couple of weeks back when I was at a conference. I said, I don't want to be a conference speaker. By that, I mean, I don't want I don't want the the platform or the work that I do publicly to take over. That I'm so busy all the time because you can be impressive for for 10 minutes or half an hour, an hour at an event and then go to the next one. I want to be um, grounded in true community and say no to the things that I know I have to say no to, even if it they look like great opportunities and open doors. I want to be um, a respected voice, not for my sake, but. Uh, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I don't want to be a cute old lady. Okay. I want to be a fierce woman of God, of his word. <laughs> and be taken seriously, not because I'm the big shot, but because I I have grown in grace and white in, in wisdom. Mm. That's that's what I pray for. What what a wonderful thing to desire. You know, uh, and, and just when you think of people that you know who, who are like that and just oh, to be yes. in their presence is transformative. Just to see the reflection of God's grace and love and wisdom and yeah. tenderness and strength yes. on their face it, in some ways yeah. changes us. Uh, and oh, I, yeah. I do see that in you, Aisha, and, and I mm. trust, uh, it will continue to grow over years to come. Oh, my goodness. That's my prayer. Well, hey, thanks for spending this time together. It has been a joy for me, and I trust it will be for those who uh, listen into this conversation as well, my friend. Well, thank you, Jed, for your kindness and your humble example, your leadership. You are a blessing for the KFO community and the board, and we love you. I am very grateful to Aisha for reminding us that no matter what our personal circumstances, cultural background, or place in the world, the core issues at stake in following Jesus are so often very much the same. I pray that I and all of us will be able to pursue that same vision that she and Alex are seeking to live out in Guatemala, being willing to reject the values and assumptions of our broader culture when they're not aligned with what's best 
and even being willing to reject the values and assumptions of church culture when that's not aligned with God's best. And most of all, rather than prioritizing our own platform or privilege or position or reputation, most of all, seeking to know our good, good Father more deeply and then reflect His grace and love in this hurting world. You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Medefint, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the Alliance, visit kfo.org.